The Island Portugal Business Network is comprised of more than 150 member companies based in Portugal and Ireland. These companies are from a wide range of industries and professions and represent in excess of 25,000 people. Okay, thank you very much, Arnold. It's a pleasure to be here together. I'm already for a long time in the UVN, and it's always really nice, this discussion. I think as, as an entrepreneur, I'm really excited with all that we talked already. And this panel is really interesting, of course, to who wants to invest, who wants to start his, his business, because we have two experts on the area that can help us. And the comparison we can do is what happened in Ireland with Gavin and what, what's happening in Portugal with Tiago. So I think this panel is really interesting about the sharing of what was the challenges between the two countries, who wants to invest. I was really curious when I was discussing with them and, and investigating something and researching that there's so much to do. And this, this first panel just gave us a, a big opening of thousands of things. And I just talked about clients that I can put in connection and doing business and making them grow. So I think if all of us together, and as, as, as Jeffrey was saying, talk about and put all together, I think there's a lot that we can do. And this is just a start, I think, today. So um, Tiago, can you talk a little bit what you're doing in Portugal? What is your role now in the business? Good morning, from here. I'm Portugal. Uh, it's a pleasure for me to be here. Um, first, I would like to thank you for the invitation to be here as well in And as well, a few words for the school because I was a student here in 2019, 2020. I remember well that time because, as you would imagine, we are living in pandemic and COVID, so it uh, was not easy, but we passed that uh, days. It's good to be here once more. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, I'm the Portugal Floating Green Development Manager, Floating Green Land for Iberpoli. I'm working for more than uh, 90 years of experience in development projects related to the sea, from the research to the commercialization phase. Simply Blue and Iberpoli being all these uh, mixed. Mainly, Simply Blue is a blue economy developer. Uh, starts its activity in 2011, and is mainly focused on floating offshore, and as well on what we call blue, that is related with agriculture projects uh, and as well wave energy projects. And finally, with e-fuel. So we have three different pillars that we where we create business mainly. Iberbluewind. Iberbluewind is a joint venture. It's a joint venture created by Simply Blue and two Spanish companies that are Proage and FF New and Inventors and have the ambition to develop projects in the Iberian market. Uh, projects, what we are talking about, mainly floating offshore wind projects. Um, and, this, and we have the ambition of have two gigawatts uh, in, the, in these markets. Uh, how we want to achieve that? Mainly, uh, as you imagine, um, mainly our business is driven by the goals set, for example, from the European Union uh, that established on the Green Deal that um, wants to have um, 30 uh, gigawatts until 2030, or 60 gigawatts until 2030. And now on, we have around 28 gigawatts installed. Uh, and until 2050, wants to achieve 300 gigawatts. So this is a huge ambition, a huge ambition 
as you imagine. And if we look to the countries like Ireland, Ireland set 7 gigawatts of uh, offshore wind, this includes floating and fixed structures. And uh, Portugal and Spain together, we present about 13 gigawatts. Um, this means, as I said, 60 gigawatts, one third of the potential for developed projects in Portugal and um, in Spain. Probably some of you are asking why Portugal set so huge ambition about achieve 10 gigawatts in total of weight market. And I think the main reasons are related, as you can imagine, with the resource available, with the um, economic exclusive zone of the Portugal. For those of you who don't know, I know that mainly who are here are Portuguese, and know that Portugal have a huge area, maritime area, to explore, but what is represent? We are talking about the third largest area in the European Union. So uh, have huge potential available for develop this type of projects. And in a perspective of a developer that, that is driven by different factors, one includes the goals that the, the government set uh, to develop this type of project, because I'm only mainly focused on floating offshore market, exist other potentials for other areas like wave energy, like agriculture, offshore agriculture or others, but mainly focus on floating offshore wind market. Our driven is to share our experience that we have from different jurisdictions um, and create uh, this opportunity to be a reality. Uh, and this the way we do business. We try to share the experience, put our knowledge in practice, develop our projects, create value uh, in the markets that we are developing our projects. Mm -hmm. And we are creating value, creating jobs, um, create impact on industry, uh, create new opportunities for industry. So this is the way we proceed in order to be active. So mm -hmm. this is an example mm -hmm. that I think I it's good to share here. Yes, you will have a lot more to tell us for sure. <laughs> Kevin, uh, as manager director, what was the purpose of interview? Why you are in this business? Uh, what, 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 on your rule, what do you want to share with us? Energy uh, Solutions, uh, we're a relatively company existence about two years at the moment. Um, but uh, I myself have worked in the industry for 20 years, a bit like Tiago here. So um, I suppose it's a lot of the environment. Um, and very lucky to get involved with it just at an early stage um, and progress there rapidly from there. From, say, from say an environment perspective, uh, in about 2002, I started working in the sphere. And 2003 was the very first time I experienced offshore. And that was from a fixed bottom perspective in, in Ireland. And at the time, Ireland were very innovative um, with, um, with wind at that stage putting a project in the water. GE was a, the OEM a manufacturer, and uh, it was a very, very positive uh, experience uh, from the very, very beginning. Uh, however, stepping forward from that, um, we've gone through probably about uh, 20 years at the moment where we haven't actually capitalized on that um, a little bit more. So from the perspective of a um, uh, company, um, and from a working perspective, um, experience um, element there. I think it's an important fact to note that um, sometimes you have to go 
gain that experience. And that's one of the reasons that we are here in Portugal because of the synergies between um, the, the ocean space. I think, Tiago, you mentioned the third largest. Uh, Ireland are, are, are up on, on uh, one of the largest, the second largest within that element. So definitely we have synergies uh, within that field. Um, and energy solutions are looking to assist companies do for ESG transition. And that starts with consultancy. So it's an engaging companies from the experience that we have very much in the CapEx phase where you're actually building bringing that through to the DevEx phase because you have port infrastructure that you need to invest in and you need to kind of build the infrastructure before you can actually build the, the, the products themselves or the, the, the projects. But um, Portugal was a natural um, for Energy Solutions Center because um, I think it was mentioned just a little bit earlier, the 15th and 16th century from the explorations that um, were taken um, and going to see gaining knowledge and gaining a partner of that um, it's very, very easy uh, to step into, into an organization or step into a country. Uh, the network as well is incredible, I have to say, the Irish Portuguese network. Sorry, the Irish Portuguese network are incredible um, as well. Like, yeah, we've gained such knowledge in uh, such a short space of time. What we hope to gain here is we hope to engage with uh, companies uh, and we hope to provide knowledge from uh, our experience within the fixed and the floating element and transition that way through partnerships. So I suppose that's the easiest way to do the, that, that description and uh, what we're trying to do. So interesting. You're talking about floating ports. How, and I'm taking this to Tiago, imagine that we want to start a business on this area as renewable energy. What have, where we start, where is the first kickoff? Uh, where do we pick up the information and how we do that, Tiago? Always, um, mainly when we start uh, our activity in Portugal, it was last year, as you know, and designing our projects. Um, mainly focus on what the data level and the data level about what exists in the potential areas that the Portugal group. We don't have microphone. Okay, okay. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, what, what I'm uh, trying to say is when we start uh, last year, uh, to the, think about our projects and potential available in Portugal, uh, we start mainly obtaining the data, the data available for design our projects, and the data available about the potential areas uh, that at that time was not defined yet for the Portuguese government. Where can we design our projects? Where is the real impact, the synergy that exists between the potential maritime areas? The relation to the ports, to the relation with the industry, related with wind resource. So all this is a number of factors that we need to analyze to think about what is, uh, in fact, the best place to develop our product. So the data is fundamental for uh, design our products. Nowadays, I think we are much more informed about what is the plans of the government because. If I resume from last year until now, what's happened mainly, the Portuguese government set the ambition that wants to achieve 10 gigawatts. And that ambition, I already explained, is related about the area, the potential. But when we are talking about potential, we are talking about, for you have an idea, 
more than one, 100 gigawatts available for floating offshore wind market in Portugal. And only 10 gigawatts are considered for, for this phase. So when, when I'm saying this, uh, I'm saying that Portugal set the ambition, set the potential areas for developing this type of projects, public these areas and what we call it a previous audition in order to involve all the entities that are interested and have interests in the sea to understand what is the plan. After that, the Portuguese government with a set of uh, meetings in order to define what is the best locations and what is the impact of that area to develop these projects. Uh, and now on, what we know that exists a report created by an interministerial working group that was defined by the Portuguese government to define these areas, the connection point to the grid, the, the ports, the investments on the ports, and what could be the tariff related with uh, the energy that will be sold to the grid. We know that the Portuguese government wants to have the first auction uh, this year, that start the first auction these years, but it's true that they are doing a lot of effort to have this ambition in reality, but it's necessary to highlight as well that exists challenge, and huge challenge. When I'm talking about huge challenge, I'm talking about the regulatory framework that where we define the rules of the game. Without that, we don't know exactly how to position for the auction this year. We are talking as well about the supply chain, because when we are talking about the supply chain, we are not talking only the supply chain available in Portugal. We need to think out of the country, because you know, this potential for developed floating offshore projects is not only in Portugal, it's all over Europe. With same ambitions to have projects in operation until 2030. So the, the numbers as I shared is too high and this happened and is happening at the same time. So the supply chain need to be prepared to answer to this challenge. And for you have an idea, for example, when I'm talking about one gigawatt for I think it's more easily for those to understand. We are talking about hundreds of turbines to be manufactured, to be assembled. We are talking about dozens of hectares that need to be available in port infrastructure. So these need to be prepared in a short period of time. 2030 is quite near. Tomorrow, right? yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so this is a challenge, but as well, it is other challenge related with important investments that need to be done in electrical network. For example, the electrical network available in Portugal is not ready uh, to receive ten gigawatts of um, floating offshore projects. We know that. And now on exist different studies to understand what is the layout, how these projects will be connected to the grid, uh, and so on. As well, the ports 
need to perform this type of investments in a short period of time, as I said. So I think it's good to have this ambition because these promote investment. Uh, but at the same time, we need to have a clear view of what is necessary to guarantee that is a reality. So a lot of things need to be done until there. That's good to hear for economy. So. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that we are hearing what it's ambition. What was done in Ireland that we can learn the good and the bad things that happen in Ireland? I think you can get, give, give us that that's a perspective. And yeah. was not to make the mistakes and do it the right way and running as you, as you as we understand. Right? <laughs> I think it's, it's very true. No, um, even just to touch over some of the points that Tiago mentioned, they just to give a uh, compare and contrast. So regulatory framework. Agree 100%. That has to be engaged, and it's probably the most important element to address um, as, as a spare point. Uh, the example would be um, Ireland started off on um, a decentralized model um, where um, developers could go out and they could pick actually specific areas where they wanted to uh, develop projects. Mm -hmm. um, they would carry out research. So, within the DevEx phase of a project, which is the development, about 5% of the entire project spend um, is executed. But that's kind of spent before, um, before the large companies carry out full engagement. You then have the CapEx spend, which is about 45% um, of the project. And that is typically carried out. Your DevEx is about six years. Your CapEx is about three or four. And the interesting area for most economies is the, um, the actual OPEX phase, which is about 50 or 52%. And that is where you can have a huge element of local content that's, that's uh, contained within it. But going back to the question, which is the regulatory framework, um, Ireland um, initially they brought in a lot of developers, a lot of foreign direct investment, as was discussed. But developers spent millions exploring seabed for auction two rounds and auction one rounds, where it went from a decentralized model um, where they, they picked the area. And there were eventually um, four winners that, that came out of the round one. And the, the um, companies that had invested in the round two, were, it automatically changed back over to a centralized model. So that meant that the government basically came in and said, we're gonna actually pick specific areas that are gonna suit um, to develop projects. And the reason was mentioned on the second point was the grid, because the grid infrastructure in Ireland is not capable of taking the megawatts and gigawatts that we're going to um, look at as well. So that had to go um, into areas that could take that capacity, and that was the changeover. So the big learning, which was the question, is um, make sure you get your regulatory um, frameworks um, put in place from a very, very early stage. And when the auctions are in place, when companies are investing, they will look at an economy um, or look at a country from Portugal that you know exactly what you're doing because you are learning the mistakes from, from other, other countries. So um, Ireland are taking a lot of information from the UK as well. And supply chain was mentioned um, a, a little bit earlier. And one of the elements you should really look at is clustering. Um, so clustering is um, extensively being used at the moment where you have um, a, a, a knowledge base that's typically um, about an hour to an hour and a half of drive um, in either direction. So it's taken in almost a radii. And why is that? Because like this, you can meet people in a room. You can sit down, you can carry out engagements. It's not a team's meeting. It's not anything like that. But with that engagement, uh, you're sharing out uh, knowledge. 
So you would have a um, subcommittee set up, and subcommittee would be a grid subcommittee, uh, a court subcommittee, uh, a subcommittee uh, for consenting, and all of those development areas. So people in the room here would actually come in and be key and, and part of that. They will actually develop that out from that perspective. The clusters will then build down the coast, so there could be two, three clusters within that supply chain. And what you do is you gain the expertise and you share the expertise internally. Because from the Irish perspective, you don't actually realize how much core capability you have until you set up a committee like that and start inviting people in, inviting people into it. But um, supply chain is one thing you really need to focus on, um, I, I believe. And um, supply chain, um, there, there will be local content requirements, but once you start the round ones or the round twos or that initial engagement, it's very difficult to put a local content element on it because you have to invite the skill set sometimes from in different regions and different areas. But um, I think a synergy, just to finish off and hand back over to Tiago, but um, a synergy that would be very good would be from um, the floating element. Like Ireland is developing a lot of fixed bottom at the moment on the East Coast, which is probably the, the easier element. The only potential we have at the moment for floating is scattered rocks, which is off the coast of Galway, um, and that, that is uh, the potential to look at it there. But if you look at um, the capability, there's about 70 gigawatts of floating capacity on the West Coast. And Tiago, you said about 100, it's about 100 to 170 gigawatts of air floating capacity here um, in Portugal itself. So you're looking at exporting that information back to Ireland because what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going to fix bottom for the next 10 years or eight to 10 years with a little bit of floating. Portugal are starting with floating, so that knowledge can be exported, particularly through this network, um, and you gain the knowledge. Like, what you're going to need is, from a floating perspective and a fixed perspective, it's completely different than technologies you need. Uh, floating, you're going to need, obviously, ports to build in the elements, but you're going to need floating um, or wet storage, as it's known, where you're going to tow the, the portions uh, or the equipment when it's pre-assembled or assembled and have it for storage. That is so readily exportable to Ireland. And you know, I, I feel that that's a that's a huge synergy. But um just to find just to cap that area off, um, it's supply chain, grid, definitely there's, there's a huge amount of synergies that we have with, with the problem area. But um I think the learning save can be very readily achieved uh, through engagement. Well, the first part we have the government that has to make the supply chain to us to to the private companies. Yeah. Get the energy and put it on the markets for us to use it, right? Yeah. So that's the biggest challenge. So Tiago, here in Portugal, what are the the board the boards? What, what which areas is going to be already considered on the planning? I know Viana Castel is one of them. We talked about that the other day. Yeah, that's true. Uh, just uh, a previous comment regarding what you said that the synergies that are between Portugal and Ireland, uh, we can highlight, for example, that wind resource that the, the way we source the water depths available in Ireland are quite similar to, to Portugal. So we can learn each other with that uh, when we are designing product, when we are developing the product, and when we are constructing as well the product. So uh, exists a lot of synergies, the, the resource available and the maritime areas.
when we look at the, the Portugal, um, what we know is that the Portuguese government have the ambition to have until the end, or launch until the end of the year, the first option. And the first option is to um, allow to the developers have mainly three areas, three maritime areas available. One is in the, two mainly, is in the north region. We are talking about Vienna, Castel, and Lichões. And the other one in the central region of Portugal, in Figueiredo Fosso. And the, the information that we receive is that the intention of that maritime areas will be divided in lots. Lots of each of 500 megawatts of that lots, which represent about seven lots in maximum. Two in Vienna, one in Lechois, and four in Figueiredo Fosso. If you ask me what will be the procedure, according to what we know, now when we are waiting for being invited to express our interests uh, in develop our projects. Iber Blue Wind already defined that have the interest to develop two projects, one in Vienna and the other one in the central region, in the figure of the force. So we are uh, waiting for that invitation to express our, uh, our interest. And after that, what we know is that exists more three phases until concluded the first time. The three phases is the pre-qualification phase, that mainly the developers need to present financial and technical capabilities in order to pass that pre-qualification phase. After that pre-qualification phase, we are expected um, access to the areas or the maritime areas where we want to develop our projects in order to perform a field study campaigns. Uh, this will allow us to have more information about the site where we want to develop our projects in order to mitigate the risk when the auction procedure happens itself. Because when we are talking about auction procedure, we are talking about reserve capacity, uh, title for use in maritime space, and the agreement for sell the, um, the electrical energy that will be production on the these products. We are considered based on this phase that the timeline will be that the first auction will be concluded in 2025. Because we are assuming that field studies campaigns will be around one year, one year and a half. This is the information that we are receiving. If this will be like what I'm saying, we need to wait for the procedures uh, that was not yet defined. And we are waiting for that information, but we are already working on the all the information necessary to be present on the auction. So, talking about the business perspective, what is European Union grants? Where is incentives that can be get it from the companies? Because we have to hire people, we have to put it on place. It's not a big investment. So, about Ireland, where you get the from the European Union, and also Tiago, where you got. That uh, that incentives to, to help the business to grow. So Kevin. Yeah. So um, doctor, there are a lot of um, funding options that um, are uh, that the European Union are providing. Only yesterday, um, there was a document released regarding acceleration of um, the offshore wind sector within Europe. So part of what they're trying to do is make new funding options available. 
and they're going to come out over the course of this year um, and it will culminate in, uh, in December um, and a document was, will be released um, regarding that. But um, investment will be within the infrastructure element um, initially because the infrastructure has to be there in order to do that. Um, so I suppose an example of that in Ireland would be um, on the island of Ireland, there's only one port capable of carrying out offshore wind, and that port is in Belfast um, on, the, on the entire island of Ireland. Uh, you have companies that have applied for applications uh, to upgrade. So there's upgrade in looking to take place in Rosslair, which also will upgrade in, in Cork. You have um, in Shannon Point as well. And then further up the coast, Kilbegs. It's kind of about four or five different areas that are seeking in, in investment. And all of those areas to meet the targets that we're setting really have to be developed. Because if you take an example from the UK, um, the, the Sea Green Project, on the Sea Green Project, there are actually seven ports individually being used to execute one project. And those seven ports range from CTVs to the actual um, monopiles to equipment to even um, if we're talking floating foundations, you're going to need the exact same elements put in place. So gaining uh, European Union support, and they are yeah, they are pushing that support because they want to put out um, fourfold over the next um, six or seven years the amount of capacity that's on the grid. So we have about 30 installed kilowatts of capacity. We're looking to hit 60 approximately by 20. So if we look at 20 years, Within the next six to seven years, we're trying to accelerate that. But the core capabilities, which are the ports, the supply chain, and even the raw material, the turbines themselves to do that, they they have to be manufactured. I suppose it's answering answering that. That's in, the biggest challenge, around, right? Around around about there, but it's a, it's a huge challenge. The OEMs as well have to come to the party, and the OEMs have to standardize. What's happening, I think, to, to assist us to do that because one of the items that are getting funding is um, confidence in the technology um, and confidence in the technology if it's changing. Initially, when I started, it was at six years the technology would change uh, because you had a certain megawatt of turbine. But only two days ago, Ming Yang announced a 22 megawatt turbine and they're bringing that out with a 310 meter. Um, uh, 310 meters of um, a swept path analysis on it, which is absolutely huge when you look at rates. Um, so I think to rein back to the question, we have to secure technology, we have to secure the supply chain and the infrastructure itself, and then the funding will come because it is there at the moment. And the European are expressly uh, concerned that they, they want us to use it, but we need to the the Everything has to be on place, right? Yeah. So, Tiago, yeah. how is it in Portugal? I, I agree, I agree. Um, Kevin Chair, and uh, I think I like to highlight that in a perspective of a developer, mainly the investment is a private investment. But I understand that for the strategic infrastructures like the ports, like the electrical grid, and so on, need to be supported by mechanisms available for the union. And that's what the European Union are doing. It's supporting the government in order to have, uh, create this uh, market, supporting the, the main infrastructures that need to be ready for uh, 
for these projects come in reality. So the European Union mechanism that we are seeing these moments is for supporting the, this type of relevant infrastructure. What we call it the strategic infrastructure. Uh, so in perspective, in that perspective, is what we think about it uh, regarding our problem. Because you know, um, in Portugal, it's, it's I could say it's different from other jurisdictions when we are developing products. We are assuming, for example, that the grid connection to the grid from the park that will be located in maritime areas until the land will be. Um, by the TSO, which is the um, the operator of the transmission system operator, uh, is the responsible of that. So the invest that investment will not be performed by the developers. Is what we are assuming. In the other countries, it's not happened like that. And uh, that all the investment is done by the developer. So this is the balance that we need to analyze. What is the responsible of develop? What is the investment that needs to be done? Where is the support mechanism to uh, guarantee that this investment can be uh, done in coming years? Sorry, thank you very much. Really challenging all this passage <laughs> and all this information. So I wanted to open for questions. I think it's important to, to know uh, directly what you want to ask because get opportunity of Ireland and Portugal know how be here, so. I have a question. Hello, good morning. My name is Carol Mims, and I'm working at the Science Innovation Office uh, from CIMAR. I'd like to introduce another perspective. Um, for example, Tiago, you mentioned some challenges like regulatory uh, framework, supply chain, but how are, how are companies preparing for the environmental changes associated with the installation of these new infrastructure at sea? And, um, and also then the possible changes uh, on the circulation, geographic circulation, the biodiversity, and how are you uh, looking for this uh, panorama and uh, how to mitigate the possible challenges? It's one hour. Arnold is already there. It is, in fact, an interesting point of view. From our perspective, we are quite concerned about when we design. Projects. We try to avoid or mitigate the risk or impact of our projects in maritime areas that we will occupy. So we perform a lot of studies in order to guarantee that the environment impact will be the lower as possible. Uh, we know that when we will install projects that will affect natural uh, the ecosystem, but in a short period of time, period of isolation. And after that, the ecosystem is resilient and adapts and continues the activity. So, but what is true that in all projects that we develop, we have that concern on studying part of this product in all ecosystems, uh, even the fishes community, uh, the impact on seabed, and so on. So, this is responsible you know, to guarantee that these projects have the low impact as possible. So how in Ireland uh, this happened? How was the thinking of the, what's the result of it? 
Well, I, I, I think um, to, to give an example, I guess uh, there, there is an impact at, at the time with uh, the CapEx phase, but I think if you look at uh, the export cables that, that um, the substations, um, there are rock bags that are placed on these um, lines, and they actually create an opportunity for, um, for an ecosystem in itself. So while you have an impact at the actual build phase, um, throughout the OPEX phase, there is actually a benefit or a deep benefit to the environment because what you're providing is um, providing a, an entire um, ecosystem from the actual wind farm itself, going back to the substation with the interarray cables and going back in to the land-based uh, substation as well. So that's kind of one example. Um, we try to mitigate not well as well and build. So um, if there is anything um, such as piling or works that occur, there's a bubble barrier, it's what's in place. And the bubble barrier is there to break noise within the actual area itself and provide assistance that we're not doing any disturbance of the ecosystem itself when you're doing the build. Um, again, not my direct area of expertise, but within the build phase, these are mitigated elements that are targeted. And they do they do gain benefits over the course of the cycle of the project. And also, uh, so in June we went to Cork with some of our members, and uh, we met we met the company Green Rudder, and uh, it was amazing. They showed us what they do for the impact on the environment. They have, they have their own uh, plane. It takes millions of pictures, and and really observe. You know what? What is what is the, the maritime environment where they are thinking to build the offshore? Uh, so they did. That was quite impressive. There was no, they have all the data. That's anyone that want want to use. I think they're they're doing something today for the next twenty years of, of information that we're gonna lose. So they're tracing the whales. They're trace, tracing everything on the ocean, and that will be uh, information that that can be used. Uh, for us as entrepreneurs, as science, uh, everything to put together and get the best results. Because if you don't look to them, you don't know how they behave. So you don't know what you're doing. So this is all the trace that has to be done. So it's so interesting. And one of the question is, we have to do it sustainable, sustainable because if we still do it the bad way, we're gonna destroy more than, than build. We have to build something that is is a, a sort of affordable for everyone for now and for the future, of course. So the just comment behind the subject, uh, I don't know how much the audience knows about this type of projects, but none of these projects will be will be manufactured or built or put in operation without any environment impact assessment. It needs to be done. So all developers need to perform these type of studies, try to understand what is uh, the the impact on birds, on fish, on uh, mammals. So all these impact need to be quantified before being authorized to uh, manufacture and install this. I think I think that's the part you can learn and do it the best. So for sure. you can do a case study I, for them. If I might add just one thing to that, an example of an environmental policy engagement is um, a project in Ireland called Dairy Bright. Now, it's a renewable project, but it's not uh, It's not uh, offshore. But that project, the EPA um, had not been carried out incorrectly on it. And the Irish government have shut down that project. So that project has been decommissioned. It's been brought down. It's not from an offshore perspective. It's from an onshore perspective. 
Now, there's a total of um, 72 turbines. And there are um, 850 um, kilowatt turbines. But the environmental aspect is not, is, is uh, when an audit is carried out or something like that, that's an example of um, an action that's been taken. Say, no, we're, we're not going to do it as eco, it's, a, it's, it's green. And that's a, a learning curve um, or an experience that I suppose you can take here in Portugal. But uh, there, that was very early, that was about in the early 2000s. And actions have come on much more since that. But the, the, the area which is, in, which is in ocean now in Portugal is that area being you know, observed uh, on the environmental point of view? Yes, a preliminary, a preliminary environment assessment was performed by the chief Now, this is a centralized process, which means that the Portuguese government defined which area will be considered for the occupancy, what is the impact on this area in the ecosystem, and after that, when the developer will have access to that area, need to perform the specific studies regarding the impact of that project in the ecosystem, and submit and present that to the authorities in order to have the project approval to be uh, start the process of construction. One thing important is to be approved, to be done, and then to be recycled and do it again because we don't want, like, the, on the space we have the, the trash all over. So let's not make trash also over the ocean, right? So it's what we do it together to again? To highlight as well that <laughs> the life cycle assessment of these products need to be considered. And we that's perform really that from the commission to the this commission of these products. Yes, so right. the lifetime of these products, we need to have a measured impact. Thank you very much. I think yeah. we can finish by now. Yeah. So it was really That's interesting. Good. Thank you very much for, okay. for this, uh, this discussion. And I hope it opens more opportunities in Portugal and Ireland. So thank you very much. This has been a production of the IPBN in partnership with Pinkroom. For more information, visit us online at island-portugal.com and on LinkedIn at Island Portugal Business Network. For more IPBN podcasts, find us on Spotify or visit our website for the full list of episodes.